enter into God's Word together, I hope you have a copy of God's Word and that you take uh, advantage of the tremendous privilege that we have in this time in history and in this place in the world to have access to numerous translations uh, and cheap copies of the Bible, expensive copies of the Bible, family heirloom versions, little paperback versions, apps that you can download that are free. And so I ask you to turn to the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers, so that we can keep our eyes on the text. Uh, and as we do that, I invite you to pray with me one more time so we can ask the Lord to do a work in us this morning. Father, this is your word. I pray that you would minimize me, maximize Christ in this time. Glorify yourself uh, by ministering to our hearts with your word. We pray that we would rise to the challenges that are awaiting us outside these doors and that we wouldn't rise to those challenges by believing in self. We would rise to those challenges by believing in you. And so we cling to you. We ask that you would increase our hope enlarge our faith, and use this passage of Scripture to do just that, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, I, I recall uh, a time when my mom was uh, at a new church. We had just recently moved to New Jersey, and we had this uh, big uh, church with classrooms upstairs and you know multi-level church building and there was one night I forget what she was there for a prayer meeting or a bible study or something like that and there was kids in their kids classes and adults in their adult classes or whatever and uh, she comes out of the class and the lights are out I don't remember if the lights went out or they just went so late that somebody turned off the lights but the lights were out and she's in total darkness and she doesn't know where she's going she can't see and she doesn't know the building well enough uh, to navigate her way out. Now, I'm thinking to myself, as I was reflecting on this story, I'll have to check with her, double check with her. Uh, I also remember a time where she said, uh, when New York had one of those uh, famous blackouts, I can't remember what year it was and everything. What is it? 65 and 77. 65 and 77. I think this was 65. She was in the subway when it happened and everything stopped. To this day, she has a hard time being in enclosed in spaces, especially if it's dark. And so I'm thinking that probably plays into a little bit of fear uh, that sets in when she's in a big building she doesn't know. There's not many people around. And then she sees a little girl. And the little girl tells her, I know my way out. Follow me. And so the little girl starts running. And then my mom is like, I can hardly see the little girl. How am I going to follow her? And that's right around the time where it was like L.A. Gear, one of those sneaker companies that first came out with the light-up shoes, right? <laughs> and then my mom sees the light-up shoes, and she's just following the, the pitter-patter of light-up shoes down the, all through the hallways and the stairwells to make her way out of the darkness. Now, there's probably not many other situations where you would see a grown, educated woman running around chasing a little girl and not, you know, totally depending on her for left, right, up, or down. But when the lights go out, you're, you're sort of forced to trust. And what we see in the book of Numbers, what we have seen throughout the Bible up until this point, is a people where God intentionally shut the lights out 
for 400 years allowed them to stay stuck in slavery, the people of Israel. Then Moses comes with the light-up shoes. He's the one to take them out. He's, they have to follow him, and it's, it's like a game of follow, following the leader. He goes up, they go up. He goes down, they go down. They have to follow the Lord through his servant Moses. And God's intention is to take them through the three phases that we need to be taken through, and that's what this whole thing is a picture of. You're stuck in slavery, the lights have gone out, and you realize you're a slave. You wake up, you have a moment, you realize there is one person to lead you out, that is Jesus Christ. He leads you out and then plops you into this promised land. No, walks you through, guides you through this wilderness period. Right? Theologians, as they explain this, these phases of salvation, justification, you're out. Sanctification, process, being made holy, it's a fight, it's a struggle. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. We're not home yet. And then eventually, rest. Right? And the problems that we have, oftentimes with Christianity, is we think it's going to look like something when we are deciding, let's go follow these light-up shoes. Surely, anything is better than this darkness. And then you realize... There's some hallways, and there's some stairways, and there's some paths to go through, and we find ourselves questioning, does this little girl know what she's doing? It would be much easier if it was rescued from darkness straight into a, the promised land, so to speak. But God takes us through the process, and part of the process is teaching us how to follow the leader, teaching us how to watch his steps, if he says go up, we go up. If he says go down, we go down. And we do what he says. That's what the wilderness experience is trying to teach his people then. And that's what it teaches us today. We'll turn with me to Numbers. We're at the end of chapter 9. Numbers chapter 9. And we're going to allow, I hope, the Lord to use this ancient narrative to speak to us about how we journey with the Lord today. Uh, it's not to spiritualize the story. It's to recognize that the story is spiritual. That God himself set this up as a narrative that parallels how we're supposed to follow God. And we see that he leads his people with clarity. See, the difference between the game following the leader and the game Simon says is that following the leader, the person in the front wants you to follow them. Simon says that the person is trying to trick you. And God is not playing a, a game of Simon says. Ha! You couldn't follow that one, could you? No, he wants to lead. And so he doesn't leave them guessing. He doesn't fold his arms going, you figure out how to navigate the wilderness. I got you out. Now prove yourself. No, really obvious a big cloud that hovers over the tabernacle. And when the cloud goes up, it's time to get up. When the cloud moves forward, it's time to move forward. Watch this in the first paragraph here. We're going to read a lot of Scripture today, uh, but we won't read all of Scripture. Some of it will do summary. But let's read 15 to uh, the end of chapter 9. It says, on the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. Remember, that's where God is. That's God's presence. 
And at, the evening, and at evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. I mean, can you see that? Is that obvious? Yes. What does it look like? What was it composed of? The narrator is not interested. The narrator is interested that you know this was an obvious presence. Verse 16, so it, so it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. I go, you go. I stop, you stop. I slow down, you slow down. Verse 18, at the command of the Lord, at the command of the Lord, remember we watch for repetition, what is being emphasized. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in the camp. Then, according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day at night, for a day and a night when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out, but when it lifted, they set out. Okay, I, I get it, Moses. At the command of the Lord, they camped. And at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. Uh, you can imagine Moses' hand cramping. He kind of might feel like the, the, when you were a kid, I don't know what kids have to do today. They can just copy and paste, but we had to stand up in front of the blackboard, those of us who were naughty, and write a sentence over a hundred times until the blackboard is filled. I mean, until your hand is tired. At the command of the Lord, they set out. At the command of the Lord, at the charge of the Lord, at the command of the Lord, over and over and over. Why? Emphasis, to get it through our thick skulls. What God says, you do. And you do it when he says do it. And you go where he says go. And there's no questioning it. There's no arguing about it. Just do it. Now you can see how frustrating it would be if God played a guessing game with them. How frustrating it would be if God didn't make his commands clear. If he held them responsible to his commands, but he didn't make his commands clear. Okay? But he makes it ultra clear. At nighttime, we can't see the cloud. Great, it's fire. Well, in the daytime, fire just makes things more hot. Great, a cloud. Is that good? Cast a shadow over you and protect you. Is that all right? Okay. And when it moves, you move. When it stops moving, you stop moving. So clarity is a sign of good leadership, isn't it? Right? You were frustrated when your parents were upset with you about something that they didn't make clear. But when they made it clear, that's your fault. <laughs> and so God is clear about his leadership. And just in case the cloud is well, is it lifting? Is it not lifting? The leaders would interpret it. Yes, it has lifted. And they made silver trumpets at the top of chapter 10. And when the trumpets would blast, they would, that's how they would know whether it was time to fight. That's how they knew if it was time just for the elders, the leaders, the chiefs to gather. Or if it meant everybody, get your stuff, pack your tents, pack your things, and get into the formations that we spent in the, the first few chapters of Numbers explaining because we're going to go march. And of course, at the center of all of this leadership, for you to be a follower of God and for God to be your leader, 
Sacrifice has to be at the center of it. That gap has to be closed. And we're reminded of that in chapter 10, verse 10. On the day of your gladness also and at your appointed feasts and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. Why? They shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. I have ownership over you. And the entire reason why you're following me through this wilderness is because of sacrifice has closed the gap between us. That makes you special. That makes you different from everyone else in the world. No one else is playing follow the leader. Why are you playing follow the leader? Because of communion. What that ultimate feast of Passover represented, right? That God, through a sacrifice, has united himself to his people. That makes him a leader. That makes him have uh, an authoritative ownership in a special way over his people. And so we are in this relationship if you are in Christ. If you are not in Christ, you're still stuck in Egypt. But if you are in Christ, you long for God, you delight in his law, and you do what he says. At his command, you move. You do it when he says, how he says, and go where he says. Now, sometimes you might want more specifics from God, but he is clear on what he is clear on. A lot of our time is wasted asking God for things that he has chosen not to be clear on. Oh, God, I'd follow if you were just clear on who I'm supposed to marry, which college I'm supposed to choose. And he's waiting for us to get serious about the things he is clear on. Have you read the Bible this morning? Then forget about boyfriend, right? The things that he is clear on, we need to follow because he says it. Do it because he says do it. And the things that he's less clear on, trust God with that. Right? There, there are ways to go about those other things. It's not that we shut our minds off, but we need to be clear about the things that God is clear about because God leads with clarity. He always has. He's always led with clarity to the point where he gives them a cloud by day, fire by night to let them know when to move, where to move, and then trumpets in case that wasn't clear so that they know when to gather, how to form, get into their formations, and when to march, etc. So as we continue through chapter 10, the horns are sounded, the people gather in their structured formations all the way through chapter 10, and they finally get to the place where they are ready to go and take the land. They are ready to go march into this land of promise where they're supposed to be, ultimately where God wants to lead them. Verse 35 and whenever the ark set out, in other words, the cloud goes up and starts moving, they set out. And Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, it said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousands and thousands of Israel. So here's this exciting moment of numbers. We've counted the people. We've figured out the role of the Levites. We understand we're supposed to get through this wilderness, but we know that our goal is to get into this promised land. And here we go. The cloud is moving. The ark is on the move. We're going to go into this land, and because of God, all these people are going to be pushed out of these lands, and we're going to end up in this place of promise that was promised all those centuries ago to our forefather Abraham. And Israel is looking with excitement to this moment. And I want to pause here for a moment and just think about how 
this relates to our position today and how God leads us with clarity. And the way that God is clear today is not from a YouTube prophet. Unsubscribe. Not from someone who told you they had a dream last night and go, oh, that's what it is the whole time. Let me leave my church and let me just subscribe to this YouTube person. The Bible. The Bible is clear. You might go, well, there are certain things that's not clear on. I don't know who the Nephilim were. God chose to be less clear on that one and a little more clear on other important things like prayer, <coughs> communion with the saints. And so God has given us his word to guide us. God has given us the gift of prayer to guide us. Remember Matthew 18, and Jesus talks about the difficulty of dealing with sin in the church. Somebody has offended somebody else, and that somebody else confronts that somebody, and it doesn't go anywhere, and then they bring two or three witnesses, and it still doesn't go anywhere. Then they bring it to the church. Now, any of you who have ever been a part of church leadership at all, you recognize how difficult that task is. What are you supposed to do in difficult interrelational hiccups in the church? That's where Jesus gives his promise, doesn't he? Where two or three are gathered in prayer, there I am with them. I mean, is that about a prayer meeting? Yeah, it's about a prayer meeting, but it's a specific kind of prayer meeting, isn't it? The kind of prayer meeting that promises guidance. I will give you what you need. I will lead you. Like Jesus promising his disciples, don't worry about what you say when they arrest you and they haul you off. I'll give you what to say. It's this trust that you'll be guided. We get that from Scripture. We get that from God's Word. Jesus cited the Old Testament as authoritative and then promised that his disciples, his apostles, would write things that are authoritative. And so we have God's Word to cling to because God leads with clarity. So between Scripture and prayer, we should be able to discern the things that God wants from us. He also leads not just with clarity, but with organization. Right? He's organized the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and he's organized it. Now, it looks differently. There's different denominations. But at least at the level of the local assembly, there's officers, elders, sometimes deacons, there are people that are more uh, spiritually advanced. They've been Christians longer. There are people for you to depend on, talk to, pray with. It's interesting to me that so many people, uh, they, they, want, they sort of want to push off organized religion, and then they lead such disorganized lives. Right? Let's, not, let's not push off what Christ has organized. And even if it looks a little different, the Presbyterian model, the free church congregational model, the, I don't know, the Anglican model, right? The different models, but what are they models of? Some kind of structure for us. God structures uh, his people, and we'll see that in just a moment as we get into the rest of this passage. But God uses his own people in an organized way, think about their formations. When you blow the trumpet, do this, celebrate your feasts, right? One of the things about eh, skipping church and just doing church at home, you're missing the feasts that we're still supposed to be doing. 
right? That, is that organized? Well, I don't like organized religion. Then you don't like something that Christ has organized. He's instituted it, right? And so there is something about, even though we might organize it different ways, there's something about the assembly. People aren't in the wilderness, all lone rangers, together. The trumpet blasts, we gather together, right? Moses calls a meeting, we gather together. And so we follow God's lead with Scripture, but we don't interpret Scripture alone. We interpret Scripture together within the local assembly of the church to make sure we've got it right. It's always been like that. Then, of course, God leads with his own presence. His cloud is his presence. The Ark of the Covenant is his presence. He's with his people, so he's not leading them, just dropping signs from way far out in the universe. He's down in the dirt with his people. And isn't it amazing that Jesus came to be that perfect tabernacle, and then when he ascended or was about to ascend, he told his disciples, I have to ascend because you're going to get this greater blessing which is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, not in a tent, not in an ark, in you, so that I will be the head of this body, this tabernacle, this temple, God's presence on the earth. Today, God's presence on the earth is not a piece of land in the Middle East. I'm not saying don't go on a tour of Israel. It's great. But God's presence in the world is you. So God promises clarity, organization, and his presence. Why did I put presence last? Because, because people want to bank on his presence, forgetting the first two. Of course, God's presence is the most important thing, right? But it, it can be subjective. I, I've literally heard people tell me, I, I communed with the Lord this morning, and he told me it's okay for me to sleep with my girlfriend. So, yeah, we're going to go ahead that wasn't God, dummy. How do I know that? Because I have a better prayer life? No, because I have a Bible in my hands, man. And if the Spirit of God inspired Scripture, He's not going to give you a dream, a vision, a nudge that contradicts what He's already inscripturated. And because our hearts love to reshape and refashion God into what we want Him to say, therefore becoming our own leaders, and just rubber stamping it with God told me, we need something more objective. So God's presence, God's presence is known through Scripture. And if it contradicts Scripture, something might be present, but that ain't God. And so we follow Him by delighting in His Word. We follow Him by understanding what He has made clear and not just complaining about what He hasn't made clear. And making sure that if God decided to major on the majors, we're going to major on the majors too. God leads with clarity. But following God is hard. But following God isn't hard because God isn't clear. Following God is hard because we tend to complain. We tend to misunderstand what he's doing in his leadership of us. Here's what we're going to see in this next section of chapter 11. We're going to see three complaints. And we just ended with this big moment. We're about to go into the promised land. We're going to take over. And it has this high, you think, numbers should just be 10 chapters long. Now let's get another book that's called Conquerors, you know, or something like that. Why do we still have so much left in the book of Numbers? Because they're not ready to take the land. 
They're not ready to take the land because they're not even ready for the wilderness yet. And they enter into complaining sessions. Before we get into those third three complaints, here's a little preview just in the first three verses. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. Now think about how abrupt this is. This wasn't written with chapters and numbers and verses. It just goes from, uh, arise, Lord, and, and your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee before you. And then the people complain. What? Isn't that how it is? We get baptized. We get out of the water. Everyone's clapping. Yes, let's do it. Yeah. And then I, I hate this. We've probably all been there. The people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. God's fire starts burning up the borders. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taborah because of the fire of the Lord, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now, you might look at that and go, wow, that's, these people are really something else. Right? They are, it's true. But we all need a mediator like that. We are all at one point or another going to complain in the desert about our misfortunes. I love how Moses at this point leaves it unclear. What misfortunes? Just the general misfortunes of being in the wilderness. Does wilderness sound like fun to you? It's not the land flowing with milk and honey. That, that's where they're going. That means this place, it's not flowing. <clears throat> it's not flowing with that stuff. It's difficult to find food. That's why they have to eat manna. It's difficult to find water. It's difficult to get shade. So they're complaining about these situations, and Moses steps in, and the fire doesn't consume them because someone interceded for them. And we bank on a Savior today. When we are not at our best, when we're failing and tripping our, over ourselves in the wilderness, we lean on a Savior who intervenes for us. Thank God for that. So this is not a passage about you have to act perfect <clears throat> or God hits reset and you're back in the land and you've got to start the wilderness journey all over again. No. Christ intercedes. Even when Satan seeks to sift us, Christ steps in as an interceder to keep us going. But some people, some people don't take advantage of Christ and they're doing this wilderness thing outside of that mediator. That still happens today. We can go to church and do the forms and kind of be religiously Christian, but we're not really banking on a mediator. We're banking on ourselves. And so that's why God is constantly sort of uh, pruning the flock in the wilderness. You can't get to the land because your hearts are still in Egypt. And we see that with this first of three complaints. The first one is a specific complaint about food, starting in verse 4. Now the rabble that was among them, so there's a, a particular group among them that he's referring to as the rabble. They had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. 
But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now, just pause there a second and think about the legitimacy of the complaint on the surface. They're, they're not having meat, and it's not just that they don't have meat. It's all these garnishes that you're used to, that you don't have anymore. We complain if we're too far from Chicago for too long, and it's like, where's all the good food? What do they eat around here? Right? They were just at the edge of the delta at the top of the Nile. Plenty of water, plenty of irrigation. And there's vegetables. And there's spices. And now they're marching through the desert. And there's this manna that's described in verse 7 through 9 that miraculously would appear on the ground. It looked like rosin. That's what bedellium is. It was like coriander seed. And they would mash it and, and mix it and make cakes of it. And we know from other portions of Scripture that this was a good-tasting cake. It was like honey. It was sweet. And it was great. And some of you might be like, yeah, I could live off cakes in the desert. But every time I open my tent, there's some cake there. Uh, we might have some different visions of what good cake is. But like, yeah, okay, I live off cake. But after a while, you're just going to be like, man, remember we used to have barbecues? Remember we used to, you know? have a roast. Um, you, can, you can imagine there's some legitimacy to it there. Right? All they had was this manna. And Moses heard the people weeping. I'm not sure if that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but they're literally, oh, I want me. I don't know. They're, they're at the point of weeping, grown men. Throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. <laughs> this sounds like a united effort. We're all going to, at 8 a.m., we're going to stand at the door of our tent and weep at the same time. Ready? Go. Oh, the barbecue. Right? Because it's organized. They're all standing in front of their tents so Moses can hear it. And it's driving Moses nuts. Okay? Moses said to the Lord, now here's the second complaint. First complaint is the, the rabble of the Israelites complaining about meat. The second complaint is Moses complaining about the complainers. Moses said to the Lord in verse 11, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? Ooh, is that accusational? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth? That you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give to their father. See, that's the goal. The goal is to get to the land. And I can't get them there because these people are impossible. Why did you put them on me? And he says in verse 13, where am I to get meat to give, all to, 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 give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I don't know if that rhymed in the Hebrew, but imagine them just saying that over and over again with their poster boards. Give us meat that we may eat. Right, day after day. He can't take it anymore. And he dares to talk to God like this. I'm not able to carry this people alone, verse 14. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. He's at the end. He's just a human after all. He's only a picture of the better mediator after all. And because he's only human, he's a, in many ways a flimsy picture. And he can't 
bear all these people by himself. If I have to bear this by myself, just kill, just kill me. Just kill me. Well, God answers the first two complaints. First, he answers Moses' complaint, and he says, Gather, in verse 16, we won't read all of it, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel and make them officers over them. And they're going to help you lead these people. So that, at the end of verse 17, they, they will bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. So there's more organization, God raising up leaders and officers within the congregation of the people so that one person isn't handling everything. And then he says, now, I'm going to answer that first complaint, verse 18, say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you, you're going to eat meat, for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who will give us meat to eat? It was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you've rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? God is pulling back the layer. You're not just complaining about meat. See, it would be different if it was like, Lord, this manna is really great, but you know what really goes good with cake? Something savory. We know you can do it. You've done all these other things. You're a providing God. You're a majestic God. You're a miraculous God. And if you can split open seas and make manna appear with the dew, you can give us meat. But your will be done. You know, it wasn't that. It was, I'd rather be back in Egypt. It was pushing God's leadership off them. I don't want to follow you. You are a terrible leader, God. You don't lead well. A good leader would give us more, and you know what? Forget you. Because really, I'm in this for me. I'm in this for what I'm going to get out of it. And I don't feel like I'm getting what I really should be getting out of this, so I'd rather go back to Egypt. Because at least there, I'm a little more comfortable. Yeah, but you're a slave. I'll take slavery. At least I eat what I want. That's at the heart of their complaint. So God is... You could say maybe God is humorous. He's going to stuff them with meat till it's coming out of their nose. So as Moses went out, told the people the words of the Lord, he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud, spoke to him, took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. I think that note is just like, it wasn't like a bunch of prophets running around for a long time, but there was an immediate signal that God is here, God is present. It's so easy to turn this into a really long sermon. I'm going to keep moving. So the Spirit rested on these elders. They start prophesying. Now here we come to the third complaint, which is Joshua's complaint about God's solution to Moses' complaint. That's why it's a chain of complaints. In verse 26, two men remained in the camp, Eldad and Medad, and the Spirit rested on them, just like they did with the others, but they stayed back in the camp. They were among those registered but had not gone out to the tent, so they prophesied in the camp, and a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad, a 
are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Uh, the, uh, forgive me for the personal uh, example, but I mean, if, if one of you came up to me and was like, hey, I just found one of our members was discipling a guy over breakfast at a restaurant. Stop him. And I'm going to be like, are you kidding me? When are you going to do it? And you, and you, right? Like, I, I can't disciple everybody. And so Moses is like, are you serious? This is God's answer to my prayer that I would get the help that I need to give the people what they need. Why? So we can get to the land without rebellion. I mean, let's get the job done, and I can't get the job done by myself. And so God doesn't have to miraculously intervene for the third complaint. Moses corrects the third complaint. You're wrong. Your heart might be in the right place, but you're wrong about this one. Then finally, God responds to that first complaint. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, verse 31, and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side around the camp and about two cubits above the ground. Some people think that means that the quail flew that low, about knee height. They could just kind of get into a semi-squat and catch them like footballs. Some people think it means that's how high they were piled as they were catching them and piling them. Either way, it's a lot of quail. In verse 32, the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp, probably to dry them out or whatever, prepare them for eating. Verse 33, while the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibroth Hatavah, because they buried the people who had the craving. Everyone didn't die, but it was that rabble, right? Those complainers. From Kibroth Hatavah, the people journeyed to Hazaroth, and they remained at Hazaroth. That's as far as we're going to go today. God answers that, that first complaint, right, by telling them not only are you going to get meat, you're going to get meat till it's coming out of your nostrils, and then they're getting sick. Some people think maybe it was kind of like a food poisoning, and it's literally coming out of their noses. Gross. If any of you have ever had food poisoning, you think, man, I should not have eaten that. And that's what God wanted them to think. I should not have craved that over God. I should have preferred to follow God on just bread, on bread alone, than follow God only if he gives me bread plus the other things I want because these other things are now making me sick. And they died from it. God is like, you're not a follower. You're out. And the reason why they're not a follower is because they weren't content with God's provision of bread and they weren't content to approach him through a mediator. Instead, they wanted to do things in the wilderness their way. So what is the difference between these three complaints? I think there's something we can learn here. The first complaint gets punished, and the second two don't. Which I think goes to show that there's a right way to complain and a wrong way to complain. And we could take this note as parents. If a child comes up to you concerned about something, you don't immediately squash them. 
It depends. It's about the approach. It's about what's behind the question, what's behind the complaint. The first group complains because they're selfish and they're foolish. The second complaint is from Moses, who's exasperated and needs help. And the third complaint is from the young dude and then Joshua, who are misguided. They don't understand the function of these elders. They see people prophesying, they're like, whoa, 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 this is too crazy. They just were wrong about that. But the first one gets punished and the second two don't. And here's how I think we can summarize it. God has freed these people from Egypt and he's bringing them through the wilderness and there's going to be complaints along the way. But the first complaint is, I'd rather be back in Egypt. I don't care about the land. You promised this land and we're not getting it. So I'd rather just go back here and get the comforts because I don't want this. I don't want the following thing. That is annoying. I want blessing and I want favor. And I want tasty things. I, I want comforts. And I don't trust you anymore. You're, you're leading me here, leading me there, and I'm not I, all the up and down, back and forth. I'm tired. I'm sick of it. And so I'm dropping out. God's like, okay, you're dropping out then. And he deletes them. But the second complaint is different because Moses, what he's really saying is, I want to get the people there. I want us to arrive, but it won't happen if it has to be me by myself. Why don't you kill me and replace me with somebody who has a little more strength? God's like, well, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to help you. See? It's a different kind of complaint. Why? Because Moses wants to get to the land. He doesn't want to go back to Egypt. He just wants to get through this. But he also is not dumb enough to think, oh, this wilderness is so awesome. Click, click the heels, right? He, he understands the pain of this wilderness journey. And God doesn't punish him for that. If you come up to God like, God, this is really too hard for me. I, I, can't, I dealt with this. I dealt with this. Now I'm dealing with this. This is, I cannot take it. God's not going to be like, oh, see, I prove that you're not worthy of following me. He wants you to approach him and ask for help. The third complaint is misunderstanding what is needed to get to the land, but Joshua still wants to get to the land. Joshua's not like, this is so stupid. Now everyone's prophesying? Forget it. Take me back to Egypt. He just wants to see, whoa, what, what, what's going to happen? Are we going to make it to the land if now everyone's pro all these people are prophesying? What if we all split up? What if there's division in the camps? No, 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 no. That's not what's happening here. Corrects him. And then what does Joshua get? When Moses dies, Joshua gets the torch, and he leads them into the land. See, he doesn't get deleted. He gets exalted. Why? Because he didn't complain? No, it sounds kind of complainy, but it's, it's, he's, he's kind of sounding an alarm, even if it was a false alarm. God corrects it. Joshua accepts it. Oh, my bad. That was the wrong way to view it. Yep. So let's keep going. Great. He's not deleted. So it's not that complaining is wrong. It's the heart behind the complaint. And a certain kind of complaint can reveal whether we're really in or whether we're really out. And whether we're really in, it depends on whether our complaints view that land of promise, this rest that God is taking us toward, we know it's coming. See, when we get too complainy to the point of needing a firm hand from the Lord, it's because we're not believing him for the future. And we want the land promises now. Or just forget it then. 
I mean, you may have met people who do that. I started going to church, I started following Jesus, but then this happened, that happened, and the other thing, and I told God, you know what, I'm leaving you. That's, I want to go back to Egypt. That's different than the person who comes to prayer meeting and is like, I, I can't take this burden, I need to take this to the Lord. We're not going to sit around going like, you're such a wimp. You're such a wilderness wimp. No, it's reality. But it's different to say, God, I know we're not in the land yet. I feel like I'm not going to make it. If one more thing happens to me or if I stay under the pressure of these things, would you remove these things? God invites those kind of prayers. But when we go, oh, it just would be better to just not even be Christian at all. It'd be better to not even follow Christ at all. What is this bearing the cross thing? This is ridiculous. I should just get a crown, not a cross. Ooh, who's this really about? Some people are in the wilderness journeying, but they're not really a part of the group. Others need to learn how to complain well. You need to recognize that this is going to be really difficult. I want to close by just reminding you of the Beatitudes from Matthew 5. And we'll close with this. Think about how Jesus is teaching us to endure hardship now by clinging to a promise later. The land promise, the rest that is to come, we trust that God is going to do that, and because of that trust, we can endure the difficult things now. Jesus opened his mouth and taught his disciples, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We'll never survive this wilderness if we want the kingdom blessings that are promised later, now. Instead, we need to recognize right now is training ground. Right now, there's persecution. Right now, it's difficult to make peace. Right now, it's difficult to be meek when others are not. Right now, it's difficult to put God first. Right now, we may experience hunger pangs. We may get really thirsty until we feel like we can't go one more day. And God is stretching you really thin And in those days, we don't look back to Egypt. We look forward to the land of rest and trust that God is going to get us there. He is a good leader. Let's follow him with trust. I want to ask the worship team to come up and I want to prepare our hearts to close in this song with a prayer. Fathers, we close in this song, Lord, we pray that we would join Moses in that victory cry ready to go out there, ready to live for you, ready to tackle whatever might be in front of us, but we don't tackle it alone. Lord, we want to cling to you. We want to follow you. We want to move at the command of the Lord at your behest. God, help us to not look to the right or to the left. Help us to stay centered on your word. Help us to trust the mediator, Jesus Christ, to continually intervene for us, intercede for us, We pray that we would continue to uh, trust the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our own hearts and minds. We pray that we would be filled with the Spirit, that we would be um, charged with His empowerment so we can live lives that please You, even when it's difficult to do it. 
especially when it's difficult to do it. So Lord, we close in this song, trusting in your leadership, trusting in your guidance. We won't want to leave here afraid of anything or anyone. We don't want to leave here uh, suffocated by our hardships, but instead hopeful and faithful people uh, that cling to your leadership above all things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.